0: Welcome everyone to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. I'm Dr. Andrea Spiker from the University of Wisconsin. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Scott, who is currently completing her sports medicine fellowship at Boston Children's Hospital, and will be starting practice this fall at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina. Dr. Scott was the lead author of the article titled, Automated Text Messaging After Hip Arthroscopy, a Randomized Control Trial of Post-Op Buddy which was published in the May 2022 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Scott's co-authors included Christopher Anthony, Michaela O'Connor, Tishon Lynch, and Robert Westerman. Welcome, Dr. Scott, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Andrea. So Liz, it's not very often that we're fortunate enough to talk to surgeon authors on our podcast, just as they're about to launch into their sports medicine and hip preservation careers. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey thus far and what your plans are for the future?
1: yeah so again, as you mentioned, I'm currently at Boston Children's Hospital, uh, completing my sports medicine fellowship and excited to be starting uh, practice in a few short months here at at Duke, um, where I will be doing predominantly hip arthroscopy. I did residency at the University of Iowa and uh, undergrad and medical school at Duke, so i'm I'm kind of uh, going back home, so to speak. And really, since I went to medical school early on, I was, you know, of course, interested in orthopedics. And I I developed an interest in the hip pretty early on, in in part uh, due to some own personal experience with hip issues. And uh, it's something that I, you know, continued to develop an interest in through residency and and fellowship. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to developing uh, sort of a complex hip arthroscopy practice.
0: Well, I've worked with you quite a bit um, through the years at um, conferences and courses. and I think Duke is exceptionally lucky to have you. And uh, you know I really look forward to all that is to come in your sports medicine and hip preservation practice, especially, you know you've quite a history of publishing on the topic, so you're already an expert in this area. And speaking of that, so you know this current article that we're discussing, involves this post-op buddy. So can you tell us a little bit about the backstory on what spurred this idea for the research project and then how this very novel idea of a post-op buddy came about? Sure. Yeah. So this, this project,
1: I sort of laugh when I think about it, it actually started out as a sort of internal, almost like quality improvement study that I sort of came up with as an intern actually. Um, and then As we started to develop the idea, it grew into what ultimately became a prospective uh, randomized control trial. Um, But really, the project was an attempt to use automated technology to try to address some of the biggest issues that both patients and surgeons deal with in that early uh, post-operative period after a hip scope. Again, I, I actually have a history of being a hip arthroscopy patient, so I sort of experienced firsthand um, you know, what those early, uh, weeks are like where, you know, you have all these tools you're supposed to be using at home, maybe braces, crutches, you know, maybe a CPM machine, post-operative protocol. And, you know, I, even though I was educated, I was a medical student and then a resident at the time, there was definitely still a certain amount of worry that I had as a patient about whether I was doing things right, whether it's following the protocol. And, you know, I sort of felt like if I'm, you know, whatever, highly educated and know all this stuff about the hip. And yet I'm as a patient worried about it. You know, how does the average patient feel who doesn't have that that education and um, social support? And then from the provider end, you know, being with hip arthroscopists, you know, really you're worried about their compliance, right? In that early period. Are they wearing the brace? Are they taking their aspirin? You, know, you hope they're keeping their weight off the leg and, and kind of taking it easy in that early period so they don't You know, develop uh, hip flexor issues. And so, you know, it's a lot of issues that are being navigated on both ends. And a lot of times that ends up in extra phone calls. There's emails that the patient is sending in, maybe even extra clinic visits. And a lot of times what's being transmitted is really information that they already received preoperatively. And you're sort of like reminding them, yes, this is okay. Like, yes, this is to be expected. And we were really looking for a way to Sort of address address that concern, something that would be easy to do from the provider end and not take a lot of extra thought, but maybe could provide some of that reassurance and sort of re-education to the patient right in that critical period when they are, you know, at home in those early weeks, worried about their hip, trying to follow the rules.
0: That's a really unique perspective, uh, you know, having been a patient yourself and then experiencing it from both sides of the you know, patient perspective as well as the surgeon perspective. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we give patients packets upon packets of information. They have online access um, to all of this information, but there's still so many questions that come up about their unique experience that, you know, this is a, a really excellent way of improving patient care and provider experience by giving them ways to answer some of those questions. I'll tell you in my practice. One way I avoid some of those questions is I don't use a brace and I don't use CPM. So there are fewer questions related to that. For
1: for sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, everyone's protocol varies. But, you know, I'm sure you found that even if you as simple as you think you've made your protocol, patients will always have questions.
0: Absolutely. Now, in this study specifically, you collaborated between two separate academic institutions, um, so can you tell us a little bit about the challenges that you encountered with cross-institutional collaboration and then some of the ways that you're, you were able to overcome those challenges?
1: Yeah. So, you know, being a multi-site study, of course, there's, you know, early challenges of making sure you have IRB protocols approved at both sites and, you know, data sharing agreements and things. The biggest challenge with this study being multi-site was really about making sure that we captured um kind of the the needs of patients in both groups so you know the two surgeons practicing in this study were in in, um new york and iowa which you know slightly different patient population maybe in some cases different education level and then the protocols themselves for the surgeons postoperatively varied a little bit and you know even when they bring the patient back to clinic and those kinds of things can be different so we really had to be selective when we were creating the content for postop buddy to make sure that it was applicable for kind of a wide group of hip arthroscopy patients, regardless of, you know, location, age, or surgical technique or whatever. And then actually from a sort of very basic logistical standpoint, you know, Chris uh, Anthony was really the sort of mastermind behind the um, technology uh, in this study. So he he has kind of a unique background in um, interactive telecommunications and computer science and so, you know, he wrote all of the software for this completely on his own. And, you know, there was no IT guy in this study. It was all Chris. Um, so he has, he has a pretty wide uh, skill set, but he ran into some problems uh, with things like the differences in time zones and the timing of the messages, you know, little, little things um, that we wouldn't have had to deal with if it was a single site study. But we really felt like, uh, you know, including again, a wide group of patients and not just those from one single provider would give us a sort of much better idea about
0: hip arthroscopy patients and how they respond to some of this technology. That's excellent. Now, this study also represents the very rare level one evidence prospective randomized study. So can you share with us some of the differences you've noted in setting up this type of research question compared to some of your other prior publications?
1: Well, again, you know, this started out as just a small idea that we were going to run internally. Um, and then as we started to expand it and yeah turn it into a multi-site study and be prospective, we did have to start to, you know, carefully plan what we were measuring and how we were doing it. Um, and, you know, technology like this can be really tricky because you don't necessarily know what the potential impact of it is. You know, you think you do, but um, it can be a little bit, difficult to figure out, you know, what metrics to study. And of course, you know, we collected pain and function PROs, but we really weren't thinking that that was going to be significantly different between our groups. You know, what we were really trying to study is something a lot more subtle. It's really more about their subjective experience after surgery that we're hoping, um, you know, potentially improves compliance and satisfaction with their providers but not necessarily, you know, we're relying on the surgery to improve the function and pain overall. So, you know, we looked at a, a lot of different um sort of objective things we could measure, like patient call to the clinic or uh, extra clinic visits or, you know, even post-operative complications. And ultimately, given the multi-site nature of the study and sort of the, again, the variety of protocols that could be used, Eventually, we we settled mostly on focusing, again, on you know, pain and function PROs, but then their subjective scores for um, satisfaction with the team and communication, um, and then compliance with all of the different pieces of their, their protocol.
0: Yeah, that's a an excellent point. You know, there really isn't a way to measure that subjective satisfaction. We have a number of patient-reported outcome measures that measure function and are attempting to get to those more subtle factors associated with patient uh, you know good outcomes and satisfaction but it is challenging to figure that out and uh, we'll, we'll get to it a little bit more as we talk about your results but you know maybe ultimately there is more of a dis- uh, difference in these groups than we're just able to measure
1: yeah so, so exactly and you know in retrospect there's always a thousand things you can think of oh I should
0: have measured that or that would've been good to look at but you know, hindsight 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Now the intervention group in your study received text messages intermittently for about 90 days after surgery. You spoke a little bit about Chris Anthony's genius in making this work technologically, but you know, how, how on a, a more granular level did you guys make this work? Was there an app that you plugged phone numbers into? Was it a website? You know, how, how did that actually work? And then can you give us some examples of the text messages that the patients received? And then how often did they get these? I mean, were these, uh, you know, daily messages, uh, weekly? Yeah. So the the key with this study is that we specifically did
1: not want to have to use an app or any kind of complicated software or even a website that the patient would have to like go to or download on their phone. It really was just SMS text messaging. So it's something that's really ubiquitous if you have a a cell phone you can receive text messages and it also meant that then we knew it would truly be essentially free to the patients where you know they weren't relying on uh, wi-fi or like you know heavy data use so being text messages that meant that you are limited to a a number of characters um, of text that you can send at a time so these really became little sort of bite-sized messages that the patient was sent. It spanned 90 days, and in, in the first few weeks, it was a daily message, so one text message, one little mini paragraph per day, and then starting at, at about three weeks, it expanded to be once a week, because um, we knew that, you know, in that early period, that's where most of the questions and concerns happen, and then as they get later on, you know, they're more active, they're out of the house, the patients are concerned with other things. So we didn't want them to feel like they were getting too many messages from us. And then, you know, the subject matter, you know, Chris and I wrote all the messages ourselves. And, you know, really, I tried to think about, well, what was it at that time period that I would have really wanted to hear as a patient? You know, what would have helped me? Um, or what, what I imagine someone would want to hear? And so, most of it was kind of four different categories. Um, some of them were really just repeating the post-operative instructions from their packet. So, you know, saying, yes, you should be, you know, putting 20 pounds of weight on your leg. You know, these rules are in place to, you know, protect you, you know, if you have a question, please call the cl- clinic kind of thing. Uh, we had some messages on pain control, which essentially reminded the patient that, you know, some, some discomfort was still normal even several weeks after their hip scope. PT reminders to essentially say, you know, continue to do your therapy. It's very important. You know, it's really uh, how you're going to get strong again, get back to sport. And then um, there were a few that we sprinkled in that were essentially like mental health sort of reminders, mental health theme, where it basically just said, you know, hey, we know you're recovering from surgery. Take it easy. Take care of yourself. You know, if you have a question, please call us. Uh, You know, here's the phone number kind of thing. And all that sounds super simple. And it is super simple. But, you know, as we start to talk about the results here, patients really responded to it positively and and really liked that feedback, even though they knew it was automated. They knew no one was at the other end. They still liked getting the messages.
0: And were you able to also then integrate the patient reported outcome measures that you collected with these text messages? I mean, did you have reminders about filling out post-op forms or was this done completely separately as far as the PRO measures?
1: So yeah, it was all integrated via text message. So there were no reminders for PROs because the patient received the PRO through the text message software. So that was something that we actually had to first evaluate and actually validate on our own before we even initiated the study. So we actually did an earlier validation study that was published in j in 2020, just Using the, uh, the who's, uh, short physical function and who's and pain subscales, uh, administering them again via that SMS text message and then validating against in office, uh, electronic completion on a tablet to make sure they were equivalent. So at least we knew going into the study that, that yes, patients were able to complete these via text message and it, it, they, they didn't mind it. It wasn't a problem. So, really, all that happened was that on the day they were supposed to receive the um, survey at whatever time specified, they would just start to receive the the questions in order and they had to text back a response, uh, you know, whether it was a number or a word, you know, about their pain and their function. And then uh, it actually sent them, I should add, it actually sent them reminder messages. So, if they did not, you know, if they completed two questions and then they went about their day and forgot, um, it would ping them a couple of times over a 24 hour period and say, you know, hey, please finish, you know, here's the question again. And it, we found by using that technology, we had excellent collection of PROs, um, again, because you're a patient can ignore an email, but, you know, we're always on our phones. So it's uh, a really nice way to access the patient where they, they can't get away from it.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, tell us a little bit about what you saw at the end of these 90 days. So did you ultimately find that there were a lot of differences between the groups who received the text messages and the control group, which just received the standard perioperative education?
1: Yeah, so uh, overall, we were able to enroll about 120 patients, all who had surgery for FAI. There was one who was synovial chondromatosis. So, you know, half of those received the messaging, you know, as expected, good improvement in pain and function PROs uh, at 90 days from, from their HIP procedure. And we didn't see a significant difference, you know, in those PROs between the two groups. But again, that that really wasn't what we were really focused on on looking at or measuring. We were very happy to actually find out that they rated both providers very highly on communication and satisfaction. In both groups, kind of regardless, so that's good. Both providers are doing a good job. But we did notice a few things. One is that the the patients just really liked receiving the messages. So about seventy eight percent responded that they felt like the messages made them feel more connected to the team. And all but one patient said they would definitely want to receive the text again if they were having uh, another hip hip surgery, and they they felt like the frequency was fine. I will say both providers had some patients who came back to clinic and specifically brought up the study and post-op study and how much they liked it. And, you know, I think that's really remarkable from our standpoint because all we did was load their phone number into a, you know, software algorithm and then we forgot about it and it did all the work. So something that's that simple to implement, you know, to have such a positive response from the patients, that's really where I think the, the gold is in this study that this technology Maybe a really easy way to you know improve patients' experience after surgery, and you know kind of more on that note, we did notice later looking into it that you know all but one of the there was a handful of kind of lower communication satisfaction scores you know as, as there always is there's someone out there that you know has a problem with whatever their experience, but all of those patients were in our control group, so all of those were patients that didn't receive the messages, so you know you just kind of wonder. You know, the, the messages may have more of a impact than we even realize and in, in the right for the right patient, you know, that's like really looking for that sort of reassurance. So, I, you know, we didn't do this, but it would it'd be really interesting if we had expanded the numbers quite a bit more, um, if we would have seen uh, kind of more of a difference in some of our metrics.
0: Yeah. And getting back to the point that you just may not be able to measure some of these more nuanced improvements in patient satisfaction and communication, um, just given the limitations of our current, you know, patient reported outcome measures and other, other indices and metrics that we use. I guess that gets to my next question. Do you plan to implement post-operative text messages in your practice? And why or why not, based on your experience with this study? So, yeah,
1: I would, you know, like to see it as something that's optional so a patient could sign up for it if they are interested in, in doing it. Um, in that way, they're kind of self selecting so if for some reason, they don't love being messaged every day. they can just opt out um, uh, but again, it was such an easy thing to write and then implement that it's kind of like a why not you know if if it helps some patients and maybe you know might prevent a phone call or two to you or your nurse or an email, you know I think those are it's kind of low hanging fruit, you know, so Um, I definitely would would like to um, figure out a way to implement this in my own practice. And I could even see um, expanding it, you know, not just hip arthroscopy, but there's a number of of procedures that you could write kind of a separate sort of dialogue for, for the messages and, uh, you know, potentially use it for a variety of things in sports medicine.
0: Yeah, well, I'm certainly convinced. I would love to talk to you more offline about it because I would love to implement something like this as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Scott, for sharing your thoughts with us today. It's really been a pleasure speaking with you. And this has been a fantastic study that you have published in arthroscopy with really promising um, results for the future of our hip arthroscopy practices. Thanks.
1: Yeah, this, this again, this was a really actually fun study to put together. And with larger numbers, would we have seen more of a difference? Who knows? But I, I do just want to kind of put out there that, that we really need more studies like this. You know, Integrating um, technology is, is a little bit trial and error, right? And you don't always know if it'll work or if patients will like it or if it's going to speed up or slow down your clinic. Um, but medicine requires innovation. And, and in some ways, I feel like uh, orthopedics and, and medicine were a little bit behind a lot of other industries in terms of, of integrating uh, technology like this so you know i would just encourage other people out there to, to continue to push forward and put out new ideas as far as how to communicate and reach out to patients
0: thank you yeah that's an excellent um thought to end on dr scott's article titled automated text messaging after hip arthroscopy a randomized controlled trial of post-op buddy can be found in the May 2022 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal or online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. This concludes our episode of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. As always, if you enjoy our podcast, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks so much for joining us. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal.